You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today is the 20th day of 20th day of April 2021. And I just spilled stuff all over the place. Oh my goodness. Anyway, uh we're going to be getting into uh This is not how I like to start my shows. All right, 
Sorry about that. Uh, we're going to be getting into Chapter 9 of the Holy Priesthood, Volume 4. And we're going to be reading about polygamy among the Nephites. Um, we're probably going to be doing a two-parter on this. And I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to end or split it up. But, uh, yeah, we'll probably be doing a two-parter on this. Um, the chat room is open for those of you who have questions and comments during the reading portion. Um, and then uh, anybody who wants to call in after the reading portion is done can do that at by calling 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. I just found out today that uh, we don't do not have 100 lines available anymore. Uh, they cut it back to 50, uh, but that's still more than we need. So uh, 50 people can call in at the same time to uh, listen using the cell phone or landline or whatever, however you call. And uh, if you push one, I'll see that you want to come on the air for a question or a comment. All right, so I'll dedicate the program and we'll get right into the reading. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, for our many blessings, and we ask thee, Father, to help us to mold us and to shape us into thine servants. We seek thy kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, that we may have thy presence to be among us. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us. And we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. Amen. The Nephite, Polygamy Not for the Wicked, Chapter 9 of the Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, starting on page 77. Unlike the Bible, the Book of Mormon doesn't say much about plural marriage, nor did it say much about any of the other higher principles of the priesthood. This is understandable when you consider that it was a book intended for priestcraft-oriented people blinded by tradition, custom, and superstition. A thousand years contending a thousand contending Christian churches were weeding the people down different and strange paths. The corruptions of their society and the failure, failure to learn and obey priesthood laws denote a people about to be destroyed rather than a people about to be translated or exalted. Nephi often read the words of Isaiah to his brothers, and he told them, I did liken all scriptures unto us. 1 Nephi chapter 19, verse 23, meaning that he applied those passages to themselves as much as to anyone else. He explained the judgments of God come upon all nations in 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 3. And when the Savior appeared among the Nephites, he said, A commandment I give unto you, that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah, 3 Nephi chapter 23, verse 1. And so I don't know why Ogden did that, because Ogden knows that 
Nephi of Nephi chapter one and two is different from Nephi in chapter three uh twenty three um different people the first Nephi lived um uh, six hundred years before Christ. The southern Nephi lived during the first century a d so among the last words of Mormon was his admonition to search the prophecies of Isaiah, Mormon chapter 8, 20, uh, verse 23. So also, um, the scriptures that the people in the New Testament were quoting were always the Old Testament. Same with Nephi. He was quoting scriptures that he got from the place of Laban. Um, it was all Old Testament stuff. So Jesus was teaching from the scriptures. He wasn't teaching from the New Testament. He was teaching from the Old Testament. So the Tanakh is what they call it, which is a a word that means uh, first Torah, uh, Nevi'im, and then Ketuvim, which are um, the first five books, that's the Torah, and the law, which is uh, which means instruction, and then the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, or the the writings of the prophets, and the um, like the Psalms and the and Job and different things like that. Anyway, so when Nephi is likening the scriptures unto himself, he's not likening anything from the New Testament. He's likening the Old Testament stuff. So, like, this whole idea that the Old Testament is done away with and that it's not important, well, that's the root of all New Testament theology and um, true to uh, New Testament theology and Book of Mormon theology, and it, it pays to understand those things um, when we're in Sunday school and they like go through a book within one or two weeks and just cherry pick some highlights out of it and never really get into it, you're not really being taught. Like every four years you go through through a little bit. Like and the other thing too, like why can't they have institute for adults? the way they had it have it for younger people. Like there should be institute classes available online um for people to learn more in depth stuff. Anyway, that's my opinion. I'll just continue reading. It seems rather strange that the Nephites would include in their historical record and uh and third and fourth chapters of Isaiah which tell about a war so terrible that six out of seven men would be killed. And seven women shall take hold of one man to live plural marriage. Second Nephi chapter 14 verse 1. When the next verse says, In that day shall a branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. Verse 2. Such an inclusion would certainly encourage them to accept plural marriage as a desire uh, correct and honored principle. A desired, correct, and honored principle. So uh, we have a war. A whole bunch of people are killed. And John Taylor saw this in vision. So did Isaiah. 
and you have a ratio of seven women to one man. And so they start living plural celestial marriage. And then in that day shall the branch of the Lord or the people of God be beautiful and glorious. Interesting. But Nephi knew many things he could not reveal to his brothers or other family members. He said, I was forbidden that I should write the remainder of the things which I saw and heard. First Nephi chapter 14, verse 28. And again, mine eyes have been, have beheld great things, yea, even too great for man. Therefore, I was bidden that I should not write them. Second Nephi chapter four, verse 25. And like in these things, uh, like all the prophets pretty much have been shown more than what people can accept, especially in their day and age. So like with the restoration and the prophet Joseph Smith, Jesus was perfectly happy to let the people know that, that he was the savior of the world and all of that. They weren't ready to know about Yeshua, the true Hebrew name of Jesus Christ, because of their traditions. So God is long-suffering and patient. Um, There's a lot, like, they had things revealed to them during the first part of the Restoration, which we look back and say, oh, that's amazing, because we understand more than we did then. And it's easy, but for those people back then, it may not have been easy to accept the very deep and um, intricate uh, things that, like, real prophets understand, just because the people are just not ready for it, because uh, they don't understand the technology of the gods, for one. And, and, like, everybody... um, throughout history they always tried to like liken God and the things of heaven unto man man's understanding and you can't do that in order to understand who they are you have to understand the technology that they use which is advanced very advanced technology like makes our stuff look like primitive men you know digging caves with rocks or something, you know, and um, their stuff would seem like magic to us. And for a primitive mind, you might actually think it is magic, but it's not. It's just when God showed me the beginning of spirits and and what happened, um, he told me that it was over the process of time that they learned how to control and manipulate the elements. But over the process of time, they learned many things and how to do many things. So it wasn't all just done in a day. God, God, our God was once just a spirit didn't have a body. He does now, but he hasn't always been that way. He was he was the first to become self-aware among the intelligence. And uh, he and God the Eternal Mother went among the intelligence and they, they helped others to become self-aware. So they became the mother 
and the father of all living. And over the process of time, they learned how to interact with the elements that were around them, which were also eternal. All energy is eternal. All elements are eternal. They learned how to control them, to manipulate them, and to organize them. So and one of God's greatest uh, things that he tries to do is he wants to help us to become like he is, to gain the highest levels of exaltation, and that we, as we grow and we become more like he is, that we can help in the process of organizing the chaotic universe. Moroni said he wanted to write more, but was and I was about most well, of his quote. I was about about to write more, but I am I am forbidden. Ether chapter thirteen, verse thirteen. This appeared again and again in the Nephite record. Mormon explained why only a very small part of the Savior's teachings could be recorded at that time. And now there cannot be written in this book even a hundredth part of the things which Jesus did truly teach unto the people. But behold, the plates of Nephi do contain the more part of the things which the which he taught the people. And these things have I written, which are the lesser part of, of the things which he had taught the people. And I have written them to the intent that they may be brought again unto this people from the Gentiles according to the words which Jesus hath spoken. And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have uh, first to try their faith, and if it shall so be that they shall believe these things, then shall greater things be made manifest unto them. And if it so be that they will not believe these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them unto their condemnation. Behold, I was about to write them, all which were engraven upon the plates of Nephi, but the Lord forbade it saying, I will try the faith of my people. Third Nephi chapter 26, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 6 through uh, 11. I'm actually having a little bit of a hard time today. I don't, like, my eyes hurt for some reason. Uh, I woke up, I don't know, probably about 40 minutes ago, uh, 50 minutes ago. Yeah, so I don't know what my problem is. Um, I'm, I'll be right back. I've got to fix something, and uh, I'll, I'll just be right back. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. Uh, I have my wife on the other line, but she is working with the baby, picking the child up. So we'll just continue on with the reading, and if she wants to... Um, say anything, then she can do that. All right, let's see here. 
If people are too worldly or proud to accept the first principles of the gospel, there is no reason to offer them anymore. As Jesus said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. Mark chapter 7, verse 27. Thus, the Book of Mormon seems to avoid the subject of plural marriage as much as possible, and even the little that was written was half hidden in the wording. Many times it would say a man had sons and daughters and then describe another man. It would say that he had begotten many sons and daughters, but seldom, seldom did it mention the exact numbers of children. Had that been the case, plural marriage might have been inferred by the high numbers as it was in the case of Oriha Oriha quote and it came to pass that Oriha did execute judgment upon the land in righteousness in all of his days whose days were exceedingly many and he begat sons and daughters and he begot Thirty and one, among whom were twenty and three sons. Ether chapter seven, verse one and two. Now, okay, the guy had thirty-one children that lived. That's not how many his wives had, because there's always going to be miscarriages, especially um, back then. But even today, with the advanced technology that we have, there are miscarriages. So this guy had 31 living children, not from one wife. He had many wives. Anyway, with 31 children, he had to be a polygamist, and he was a man of righteousness all of his days, and he had 31 children in polygamy. It must mean that the Lord was not displeased with him or his marriages. Amulek said as he was journeying to see the near kindred that an angel of the Lord appeared unto him and told him about a chosen man of God. Amulek was instructed to return and take this holy man into his house and care for his needs. He did this, and as a result, Amulek recorded that Alma blessed mine house. And he blessed me and my women, women, multiple women, and my children and my father and my kinsfolk. See Alma chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. 7 through 11, I'm sorry. We're on page 80 for those of you who are reading along with us. Amulek must have been a good man because, first of all, he was instructed by an angel of God. He had possibly been um, he had possibly taken as wives some of the widows left after the many wars, which was a thing. Like all these wars that are going on, and all the men that were dead, well, women still want to have families. You know, and they need a man to do that. So um, anyway, but Alma blessed his wives, or women, women, as he called them. Amulek was recognized as a righteous man of God and obviously would have lived righteously with these women. One of the most faithful men described in the Book of Mormon was the brother of Jared. 
it is said of him, quote, and there was, and there were many whose faith was so exceedingly strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with the eye of faith, and they were glad. And behold, we have seen in the re- in this record that one of these was the brother of Jared. For so great was his faith in God that when God put forth his finger, he could not hide it from the sight of the brother of Jared. Or his name was Mohanre Moriankamer. Because of his word, which he had spoken unto him, which word he had obtained by faith. Ether chapter 12, verse 19 and 20. Now, I have to like go off on a little tangent every time I talk about this. So, evidence for, for the Book of Mormon. In the Tanakh, not in the talk, in the Talmud, we learn from the traditions and the customs of the rabbis uh, certain stories. They go way, 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 way back. One of those stories is that Noah asked God to give him light inside of the ark. Now, this thing was sealed up. No, no big windows or anything like that. It was dark in there. And Noah received from God stones that glowed in the dark. They glowed bright in the dark. And they gave off light to fill the whole ark with light. Okay, now you've got this big vessel. You can't have a bunch of torches in there and a bunch of fires because the smoke will choke everyone, right? So God gave them these rocks that glowed really bright. Now, we as Gentiles don't know those things. Joseph Smith had no idea that that was a thing. So he didn't make up the Book of Mormon and put that in there. But Mohanroy Moriankamer, who lived shortly after the time of the flood, knew the stories that, that Noah or that dealt with the flood and Noah, and he knew about the rocks. That's why he asked God, to make the rocks shine. And that's why he saw the finger of God. But he knew that that was a possibility that God had already done that for Noah. Now, we don't learn that in the Old Testament. You have to go back into the ancient record of the Jews and Joseph Smith living in upstate New York, which was a frontier town, would not have known that. But we know it. Well, I know it because I study the crap out of everything that I can get my hands on. And Hebrew uh, learning is something that I enjoy studying. The brother of Jared knew about those things. That's why Joseph Smith, when he translated the record that somebody else had written, included it in there without knowing exactly what the full story was on that. And you're not going to find that full story in the Book of Mormon either. But you will if you go back into the record of the Jews. All right, let me see here.
I have an itchy throat today for some reason, so I'm like trying to drink a bunch and uh, get rid of whatever it is that's driving me nuts. (laughs) All right. Because of his great faith, the Lord could not withhold anything from his sight, wherefore he showed them all things, for he could no longer be kept from within the veil. Ether chapter 12, verse 21. Now, uh, real quick, this has popped into my mind. So, Jesus Christ was actually ministering into Ether behind the veil. Ether didn't know who Jesus was, but he knew that that whatever it was was God, right? And Jesus was God, was one of them. So anyway, uh, Ether brings these rocks forth, and he says, can you please touch these so that and I don't know if he meant literally or metaphorically or what he meant, but he said, please touch these rocks and make them glow. And so Jesus puts forth his spirit hand and touches the rocks, and the brother of Jared, like, sees the finger of Jesus. And it freaks him out because he didn't realize that God had a body, uh, like, in the form of a man. No idea. So the veil is withdrawn from him, uh, and you can go read this all in Ether chapter 3 in the Book of Mormon. But the veil is withdrawn from him, and he sees Jesus as a spirit being. Now, one of my, or some of my own experiences, um, Jesus does minister to us. I mean, he can't be everywhere all at once, but how do you know that it's Jesus and not just some ministering spirit that is ministering to you? This is how you know. It, you will not only feel the Holy Spirit, but you will feel a burning within you. Your whole body will be filled up with a spiritual fire that I cannot even begin to describe. But when Jesus is there with you, you will feel that. That is a sign that he is just beyond the veil and you are in his presence. And you can be by yourself and this happen, or you can be with other people and this happen. But if you're feeling that, Jesus there on the other side of the veil and you're in his presence, whether you can see him or not. Just like the brother of Jared, he couldn't see him, but he knew he was there. And then and then he saw the finger of God, and then the veil was lifted from him, and he saw Jesus, who at that time had a spirit body. Now, now he has a physical body to be clothed or clothe his spirit body, but at that time he was just a spirit being. All right, let's get on to the re- get back into the reading. He was so inspired that the things which he wrote were mighty even as thou art, unto the overpowering of man to read them. And that's verse uh, verse 24. And he's talking about the brother of Jared, Mohanry Moriankama. He was a good man, a man who conducted his life and his family according to the will of the Lord. He was worthy to raise a large family with many wives, which is what 
must have happened as we read that the number of his sons and daughters of the brother of Jared were twenty and two souls. Ephra chapter six verse twenty. So he's got twenty two living children. Indicating that he too must have had more than one wife. Another indication of plural marriage in the Book of Mormon is also recorded in the Book of Ether. Quote, Wherefore, every man did cleave unto that which was his own with his own hands, and could not borrow, neither would he lend. And every man kept the hilt of his sword in, in his right hand and in defense of his property and his own life, and the and his wives, not his wife, his wives and children. Ether chapter fourteen verse two. This passage is clearly talking about every man singular that mentions his wives plural. Just like any principle and doctrine of the gospel, both the righteous and the wicked have been permitted to obey and live them. For whatever reason, it is no different with plural marriage. There is an example of Replicish, a wicked man, quote, who did not do that which was right in the sight of the Lord, for he did have many wives and concubines and did lay, lay that upon men's shoulders which was grievous to be born. Yea, he did tax them with heavy taxes, and with the taxes he did build many spacious buildings, and he did erect him an exceedingly beautiful throne, and he did build many prisons, and whosoever would not be subject unto the taxes he did cast into prison, and whosoever was not able to pay taxes he did cast into prison, and he did cause that they should labor continually for their support. And uh, whoso refused to labor, he did, he did cause to be put to death. Ether chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. He would uh, raise these crazy uh, tax laws, and people who couldn't pay the taxes, they were thrown into prison, and they basically became slaves to help him build up his buildings and stuff. Certainly, this is enough evidence to show that Riplakish, or whatever the heck his name is, was a very wicked man. Yet he did have many wives and concubines and did afflict the people with, the, with his whoredoms and his abominations, verses 5 and 7. Because of his free agency, he was entitled to do to this lifestyle as much as anyone else. But it certainly doesn't mean he took additional wives because he wanted to obey God and become a more righteous man. Along these same lines, King Noah, son of righteous King Zenith, who actually has um, writings. I, I don't know if I, I made clear about this. The Book of Mormon is an abridgment. There's a whole lot more to the record of the people of Nephi than just what you find in your, your short little tiny book, the Book of Mormon. Zenith had a book. Zenos 
had a book. There are books that you don't know about. And every single book that you have is an abridgment. They wrote a lot more, a lot more. But the Prophet Moroni and the Prophet Mormon, they abridged the record, partly because it wasn't a lot of space, but partly because that's all that needed to be put into our understanding in these last days. That book was specifically written for us. They didn't have it among the Nephites back then. It was specifically written for us in our day. But we have, well, I have, and some other people have, um, and God has all of the records that have been written, and uh, you're going to love them. When they're finally, um, when God reveals them to the people, I mean, I'm a special case because I, I get to know about these things and I've got to read them and enjoy the reading. But it's kind of hard to understand some of the things that were going on because our tradition and our culture is so different from those guys. But anyway, the whole idea was that, yeah, Zenith did ha- he, did, uh, he did write a book. And so did Zenith and others, Paniel and... Uh, just about Iblius and like there's more to the book of Joseph like oh my gosh there's so much more but we only have just this little bit and we don't even take it seriously as it is we don't take the former revelation seriously talking about the Old Testament so um, so we're under condemnation and we're not going to receive more from God until a, a later time. I'm just lucky, I guess, that I get I've gotten to read so many of these these records. All right. Along these same lines, King Noah, son of righteous King Zenith, did not walk in the ways of his fathers of his father and became corrupted by selfish lust and vanity. It is said of him, quote, For behold, he, uh, King Noah, did not keep the commandments of God, that he did walk after the desires of his own heart, and he had many wives and concubines, and he did this, uh, and he did cause his people to commit sin and to do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord. Yea, and they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. And it came to pass that he placed his heart upon his riches, and he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and concubines. And so did did also his priests spend their time with the harlots. Mosiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 14. So I know of of groups within the Mormon uh, church and also uh, within different uh, off shoots of Mormonism or of the Mormon church, whatever um, that they do wife swapping. That That's, that's a wicked evil thing, but that goes on within, the, within the, the confines of the church. I don't know why these people are excommunicated for doing these things, but it does happen. My aunt had been invited into different groups uh, over the years because she mingles among certain people, 
that kind of a break off a little bit. But there, there's a bunch of these guys that are still in the LDS church. They go to church every week, and then they just they just do these wife swapping things. But and wife swapping is where you have a buddy that's got a wife, and so you trade your wife for her wife, and then you go have sex with the other person's wife. That's wife swapping. And uh, oh, the other thing too. Um, King Noah doing what he did, he wasn't doing it for righteousness. He wasn't doing to raise up seed unto God. He was doing it to fulfill his carnal desires. But he was also breaking Torah law because in order to take care of of your wives, you have to provide for their, their shelter, their clothing, their food, and their sexual desires. If you've got 50 or 60 wives or more or whatever, you're not going to be able to fulfill that last commandment. Even if you spend all your days screwing around all the time, that's just it's too much. And I don't know how King Noah would be able to do that anyway. I, that's beyond me. I guess some guys have that kind of stamina. Anyway, the devil enjoys influencing wicked men to twist and abuse righteous principles and polygamy seems to be one of the favorite areas. There are countless cases of those who lived the doctrine unrighteously. Replikish and Noah were just two examples of the type of men whom the Lord did not want to live plural marriages. And apparently there are many others during the time of Jacob, Lehi's son, but he warned the people. Now let's before I get into this, Lehi lived in Jerusalem. Nephi was his son. But so was Jacob. So when they came to this American continent, they did not have a large group of people with them. And because God desires each individual to be married, and there were not a lot of women in that camp, there was a a problem and contention arising where one man would accumulate a larger percentage of women and making it impossible for other men to be married and have children, which was important. It is important that men have kids and have a wife. Really important. So with that in the proper context, let's read this. And now, my, uh, my brethren, I have spoken unto you concerning pride, and those of you which have afflicted your neighbor and persecuted him, because you are proud in your hearts of the things which God hath given you, what say ye of it? Do ye not suppose that such things are abominable unto him who created all flesh? And the one being is a precious, is precious in his sight as the other. And all flesh is of the dust, and for the self same end 
he hath created them, that they should keep his commandments and glorify him forever. And now I make an end of speaking unto my unto you concerning this pride. And were it not that which I must speak unto you concerning a grosser crime, my heart would rejoice exceedingly because of you. But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord. Okay, so now this is Jacob giving the oracle of God. The oracle is the word of God delivered by a prophet to a people. That's all that means. I just want to say something. Go ahead. I just want to say that, well, you know, if the other guys weren't, you know, schmucks or whatever, then I'm sure that they could marry women too. But, you know, (laughs) maybe there's a reason why. I'm just kidding. That's fine. That's a good point. So we're supposed to, well, we're going to read this and then we'll talk about it. That's kind of like how I feel about it is though right now. Sorry, but like there's a lot of people who aren't getting married. Women are not marrying men. There's a ton of women who can get married. They don't want to. Why? Because they'd rather be single than marry somebody who is not worthy. (laughs) Yeah. They don't want to marry a bunch of uh, Gentiles who go praying around like they're like Latter-day Saints, but they're just Gentiles, you know, wicked men who are not righteous at all, who will not raise children in righteousness because they're so caught up in the world and all the crap that the world is bringing, whatever. All right. So let's see here. Okay, so this is the revelation that God gave to Jacob, and Jacob delivered to the people. This people begin to wax in iniquity. Now, what does iniquity mean? It means that, okay, when God lays out a path for you to follow, you stay on the covenant path. Okay? If you start to veer off the path, that's the definition of iniquity. So if you know what the law of God is, and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to do what I want to do, and, and you just go off the path, that is iniquity. So wax in iniquity, and that's all that means. They, they understand not the scriptures because they don't want to understand the scriptures because they don't care, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David. And Solomon, his son. Now, let me just say something real quick. You see here. I want to see what whoredoms mean. I'm going to read it here. Prostitution or other promiscuous sexual activity. Okay. Now, how do I get rid of this? (laughs) Oh, there it is. Okay. So, that's what a whoredom is. And they did this because they knew that David and Solomon did it, and they had the record of David and Solomon in the in the record that they got from Laban. Now, one thing I want to talk about real quick is, behold, I'm just going to read this and then I'll talk about it. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, and all the differences, I believe, is wives are the ones who are sealed to them eternally, and then 
concubines are the ones who are sold to them civilly. So if you haven't been sold to your husband, uh, you're a concubine. As far as what I understand, I might be wrong, but let's see if there's a definition here. It doesn't really talk about it. All right, I guess that's not a definition. All right, which thing was abominable before me? So David having many wives and concubines was abominable before uh, for the Lord, saith the Lord. Okay, this is God telling Jacob that the things that David and Solomon did were abominable before the Lord. Now let's just talk about this for a second. In section 132, We learned that nothing that David did was abominable before the Lord except for that whole thing with him killing Bathsheba's husband. Oh, just that, yeah. But here in the Book of Mormon, we find out that what David did in having many wives and concubines was abomination to God, as as an abomination to God, because David and Solomon were not keeping Torah law or instruction. They were multiplying wives, which means they were just grabbing up wives. They had a lot of money, and these wives would be seduced by the wealth of the king, so they don't have to worry about anything they're taken care of. But according to Torah law, they're not supposed to be marrying all these women because they cannot take care of the sexual desires of the women. So then you've got lesbianism and and whoredoms and all kinds of other stuff that stem from that. But it contradicts Section 132. And why does it contradict Section 132? Because Brigham Young took different revelations that Joseph Smith had received and he strung them together and added his own crap in there. Section 132 is corrupted was corrupted by the non-profit Brigham Young. When Johnston's army was coming to destroy the saints, he said, I'm no prophet, I'm a good Yankee guesser. Because he knew he wasn't a prophet. The first part of of his leadership in the church they didn't even call him the president of or not uh, the prophet here in Revelator. He he wasn't referred to as that. Now, if you understand that in section 124, delivered January 18th, 1841, Jesus said, "Build a temple whereby the Father, the Most High, can come to other end, that He might restore that which was lost to you, or that which was taken away from the world that had not yet been restored." even the fullness of the priesthood. So in order to get the fullness of the priesthood, they had to build a temple in Nauvoo where the Father himself could come dwell therein. But if they did if they did it, God said, or Jesus said he would have fought their battles for them and they would not be removed from their place, which was Nauvoo. But they were removed from their place. They all, Jesus also says in this revelation, if you don't do what I say, instead of... Uh, blessings, you'll receive wrath, cursings, indignation, and all these bad things, right? And then he finally says, and if you don't do what you're told, you will be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord. Which thing happened? 
Brigham Young was chosen by God to lead the people in its rejected state, but he was no prophet, not in the way, not not in the way of the Lord's anointed, and not not even close to Joseph Smith. None of the none of these guys have been. None of them have been the Lord's anointed. Brigham Young, in order to justify polygamy in the way he wanted to live it, strung a bunch of stuff up that or that Joseph Smith had written and added a bunch of his own crap into it. And that's why the Book of Mormon, Jacob, contradicts Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. When Joseph Smith in the Times of the Seasons in 1843, I think it was, he said, if, they con- if any man contradicts the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, speaking of the Doctrine and Covenants that he had in his lifetime, he set them down as an imposter. Brigham Young set forth Section 132, and it, 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 this part... This whole David, what he did in in Jacob chapter 2, it talks about how that was an abomination. And then in section 132, it's all like the only thing he ever did bad was was killing Uriah, the, the husband of Bathsheba. And in section 132, it even says that, like, basically polygamy was a good thing for David. But it wasn't because he was breaking the Torah law and uh, he was doing, this was not good in God's eyes. This chapter in the Book of Mormon contradicts Section 132 and we didn't get by Section 132 until long after Joseph Smith was dead. It's a corrupted revelation. And, and Joseph, sorry, Brigham Young did this to other revelations as well. He got rid of, of some revelations, but he also would mix revelations up. So because I have the dis, uh, discernment, and my wife has it too, when we're reading in the Doctrine and Covenants, it'll have one section, and then... Brigham Young will have taken another revelation and, and like pushed it into this other revelation and made a longer revelation out of it. And the two different revelations, but because they're pushed together, people are like, oh, this means this because this says this and then it immediately says that. That's what Brigham Young wanted. But that's not the way the revelations were received from God. And it happened over and over again throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. All right, let's see here. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm, that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch from the the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Wherefore, I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall not any man among you have save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. For I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination unto me. 
Thus saith the the Lord of hosts. Jacob chapter 2, verses 20 through 28. And remember, whoredoms are sexual promiscuity outside outside of marriage, basically. So when you've got David and Solomon with their three, four, five, six, seven hundred wives who all have desire for, to be sexually active and you've got one man, you've got a bunch of lesbianism going on, which is whoredoms. I used to joke with people and I still make a joke about it, but oh, people are going to hate me for this, but I think it's funny. Do you know, Kim... What? Right, do you know? Or I don't know how to how to say this. Basically, lesbians are just sister wives who have not found their husband. <laughs> and I'm joking. Are you there, Kim? Jacob chapter two, verse twenty-eight. Let's see if I can find. Let's see here. Nope, I don't have it on here. I was going to read it, because right, there's more to it than that. But anyway, I'll just I'll continue on with the reading. We're 55% done with the reading today. The key words here are among you, talking of the wicked people that he has just been addressing. Why should they be allowed to continue to abuse such a holy principle? And verse 23 states, These people were guilty of three serious sins. Number one, they were beginning to wax in iniquity, meaning they were beginning to go off the covenant path. Number two, they did not understand the scriptures because they weren't trying to understand the scriptures. Number three, they committed whoredoms, which means they were multiplying wives like David and Solomon. For these reasons, The Lord wanted them restricted to only one wife and no concubines. Plural marriage must have been practiced among the Nephites before this time. Why else would they be why else would this limitation now be placed on them by the Lord? Because of their actions, the Nephite people, generally speaking, had really become unworthy of even one wife. As Jacob goes on to describe their iniquities, it becomes even more evident why the Lord restricted them to one wife. Behold, ye have done greater iniquities than the Lamanites, our brethren. Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost confidence in your children. Because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts ascended up again, to God against you. Jacob chapter 2 verse 35. Except ye repent the land is cursed for your sakes the Lamanites which are not filthy like unto you nevertheless they are cursed with the sore cursing shall and they shall scourge you even unto destruction. Behold the Lamanites your brethren whom ye hate because of their filthiness and the cursing which hath come upon their skins are no are more righteous than you, for they have not forgotten the commandments of the Lord which was given unto our fathers that they should have save 
were one wife and concubines, they should have none. And there should not be any whoredoms committed among them. And now this commandment they observe to keep. Therefore, or wherefore, because of this observance in keeping this commandment, the Lord God will not destroy them, but will be merciful unto them, and one day they shall become a blessed people. Jacob chapter 3, verses 3, 5, and 6. So in the, the other thing, too, and I don't know if it gets into it because I can't remember because I'm tired right now and I'm struggling for one, but God said that these things shouldn't be done unless you were raising up children unto him. So they wouldn't have been doing that if they were going off the path. They weren't raising up children unto God. They weren't even keeping God's commandments. But God always wants us to raise children unto him. So if we are living righteously and raising our children unto him, that's, that's the whole, like, you shouldn't live polygamy unless that's what, unless you're doing those things. Anyway, Kim, did you have anything to say? Hey, where are you? Oh, well, Kim is not on the line. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> She might be in a bad area. Let's see here. The Lamanites apparently had had been guilty of abusing the principle of plural marriage, and the Lord already commanded them to have just one wife. But because of their renewed obedience, they would one day become a blessed people, indicating their people would once again be righteous enough to live plural marriage. That it was harder to get the Nephites to obey because of their disobedience and the abuse of plural marriage, they were under a greater condemnation. But this instruction of having one wife apply to the righteous leaders and people who tried to live close to the Lord and obey all his commandments, Certainly there must have been a few of them scattered throughout the Nephite communities who felt that instruction did not pertain to them because they were not being wicked. Okay, In Jacob chapter 2, verse 24, it refers to David and Solomon having many wives and concubines, which thing was an abomination before him. We need to remember that when David and Solomon were in good favor with the Lord, he blessed them in every way which included their wives. And when they apostatized, they were no longer worthy of those good women. David was guilty of murder and adultery, and Solomon took foreign wives, which led to further unrighteousness. Foreign marriages brought foreign religion, and the king compromised the convictions which he had expressed in his dedicatory prayer for the temple. See that, uh, to to read that, go to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 23 and 27. By engaging in a sadistic, hold on, I got to read this word in the definition, because I don't know how to say that word. 
syncretism. Let's see here. Even even the dictionary uh, makes it like I don't even know how to say this. Syncretism, syncretism, syncretism. Are you serious? Oh, I have a hard time. The linguistics, the merging of different infectional varieties of word during the development of language. You know, God asked me to do these radio shows. Why can't he just loose my tongue and make my eyes clear so that I'm not blurry and having all the issues that I have? Like, I wish that he would just do that because, like, I... I want to do this because, for one, I'm learning, and for two, I want to share what I'm learning, but mostly because God told me to do it, and whenever I'm not obedient to his commandments, like, the Spirit withdraws from me, and I have issues. So I just want to do what God tells me to do, but, like, make my tongue loose, God, because I'm getting sick and tired of not being able to say synchronistic. Like, I know what that word is, but I can't say it. Because my tongue is stupid. Anyway, by engaging in synchronistic worship to placate his wives, this violent breach of Israel's covenant could not go unpunished. Allusions to the Bible Dictionary illustrate, whatever, I don't know what that quote is, because Ogden, for some reason, decided that he wants to abbreviate words, and I don't know what the full word is, so I'm not even going to then whenever he does a bid, ID, ID, uh, no, why do you do that? That drives me insane. Anyway, it's to save ink on a page. Whatever. Um, after such sins of multiplying wives out of lust, David and Solomon were no longer worthy to live for a marriage or take additional wives. This is what the scripture is referring to as being abominable before me. Thus, this, uh, with this explanation, it becomes a little more clear what Jacob meant when he said, and now it came to pass that the people of Nephi under the reign of the second king began to grow hard in their hearts and indulge themselves somewhat in the wicked practices such as like unto David of my of old, desiring many wives and concubines, and also Solomon his son, Jacob chapter 1, verse 15. Both David and Solomon corrupted themselves with their families and their kingdoms through their immorality. The purpose of plural marriage is to live pure lives and raise up a righteous posterity. They failed to do this, and so did the Nephites. And thus they were forbidden from taking plural wives. And let me just say this other thing, too. If women cannot find a righteous man to be their husband and the father of their children, and they choose to live plural celestial marriage with a righteous man so that they can raise up their children unto God, that's what Jacob is talking about. I've heard so many excuses from people who want to skirt polygamy 
about what it means to raise up a righteous seed because they take the definition of one thing that's spoken of somewhere in scriptures and they try to apply it to this in a different way. Uh, It's just, I'm sorry, if you're making up excuses so that your theology fits what your preconceived notions are, that's you adding the doctrines of men mingled with scripture. That's all that is. In order to raise up a righteous seed, a woman should choose a man not based on whether he's married or not, but how he can provide for his wife or wives and how he is with his children, whether he can raise them up with morality and rules and be a righteous husband and father so that that her children that she has covenanted to in the preexistence that would come through her will be raised up by a good man, that they might be raised up unto God. All that means. It doesn't mean, oh, what it, what it, I heard it last week. Uh, somebody was teaching that. And, like, I listen to these guys teach on these Zoom calls, and I'm like, a lot of what they're saying is good, but then they start trying to do this other thing. He was saying that the seed of raising up a righteous seed meant to, that we're all the seed of Christ and that, like, hey, I don't know, I, so yesterday um, Sunday so I didn't work Saturday night or Saturday morning I didn't work Friday night like I said I was going to do last week because we uh, figured out that in order for us to do what we needed to do on Saturday I just I couldn't so we drove up to Leighton, Utah, and we got a hotel room there, and we went car shopping the next day and did a bunch of other things that we were supposed to do, appointments that we had, different things. And um, we got home really late Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, Sunday morning or Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then uh, when I woke up the next day, I did a few things around the house, and then I... Uh, I went to work. I worked from 2 p.m. to 4 a.m. When I got home, I was so exhausted that I could barely even function. And then, let's see, I slept from about 6.30 in the morning until about noon. My transmission was giving me problems on my at the end of my shift, so I um, when I woke up, I called a couple of different places, and I, I got a hold of uh, one shop, and I got a quote and estimate for a new transmission, and then at two two o'clock, I think it was, I left where we live and started making my way to drop this vehicle off. Anyway, but uh, so I'm not. Like, I was so tired. And I, I think my body's still trying to recover from from all of that. But we did finally get the van dropped off at the transmission place. And uh, it's going to be $2,800 plus tax 
they say. So we'll see. All right. It is easy to understand the the potential nature of good and evil in all things. For example, a fire can warm a house or burn it down. A gun may provide food for hungry people or it can kill people. So it is with plural marriages. They can exalt or destroy. Like any other marriage, it is neither good nor bad in and of itself. Its value is determined by the way it is used or abused. Jacob left the door open for the righteous to live plural marriage when he said, and it wasn't Jacob actually, but Jacob was quoting the words of God. He was giving the delivering the oracle of God to the people. And anyway, let's see what they say. And if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. So if they are raising up children unto God, plural foster marriage is a thing. It's it's an important thing. Wouldn't does God not want us to raise up children unto him? That's always going to be a thing. For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yea, all the lands of my people because of the wickedness and the abomination of their husbands. Jacob chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. I am so struggling right now. Kim, are you there? Yep. Hey, where are you at? I am just coming out of price. Okay, did you pick up anything on your way out of price or are you just talking to some... Um, no, I had to go back to the different stores to get the things that the kids have told me that you needed. And and as you can hear, I've got this thing going off because every time I go by here, <laughs> the radar detector goes off. Anyway, um, yes, they said you needed berries. Oh, uh, yes, I need berries. Berries are very important to the health of, of the dad. So berries, berries must be had. So I grabbed some berries um, and some okay. other things. And uh, so hopefully the chicks are going to hatch, but I needed a baster for it. And that was like my primary reason for stopping was like, I have to get that at 75% and I needed to stay that way. And it's not staying 75% that way. 75% Yeah. And it's okay. not staying that way only because I it's hard to get the water into that thing. So I grabbed a turkey baster that I think is going to work for, it's actually multi-use because it also um, has a basting tool on the end of it and I don't have one of those so I'm kind of like well, that worked out good and now if I could just remember to get propane for the grill then we could have barbecue stuff. Yay, barbecue! I know, that's what I thought too. Summer is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I'm trying to um, come home now. But I have to I look at Olivia's flute too, and I don't know when I'm doing that. 
So you know how um, Emma was all like, they're setting on the front lawn. Oh, my gosh. Setting has come off the house. Okay, I walked around the house last night. Uh-huh. The siding is from the extra siding in the pile out on the the I know. perimeter That's of our. What I told him. I know. I'm like, where the heck is the siding coming from? Because it was windy as like all get out yesterday and the day before, or whatever. Yeah. And so yeah, some of that siding did get lifted up by the wind, but it didn't come from the house. Like uh, for the listening audience, there's like this farm has a bunch of stuff extra stuff that they didn't use in piles all over the place. <laughs> and we're like, uh, so we have a pile of siding for the house in case something happens, whatever. It's good to have. But but the wind picked it up, and, and the 15-year-old Asperger's kid that we have was like, they're siding on the front lawn. It must be because it came off the house. He was kind of freaking out about it. And I was like, Emma, shut up. You're stressing mom out. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? It's so windy that the siding is coming off the house. Where is it coming off the house at? I was like, Ugh. I don't know. I know, and I was like, shut up, Emmett. You don't know what you're talking about. That child is ours. Okay, well, I'm going to try to finish the last uh, 18% before you get home so I can get to work as soon as you get here. So. Okay. Um, do you not and want then, me to go pick up the flute even though Olivia needs it? <laughs> well, hurry up. Do you want me to pick up the flute tomorrow? Or? Yeah, I'd rather you do that tomorrow. You already did the thing today that you needed to do. Do you need to do something extra tomorrow? Tomorrow is Wednesday, so hopefully no. Okay, so I will just, or yeah, just pick it up tomorrow, and then uh, that way I can get to work and try okay. to get more loads and make my boss happy because I don't want him to be unhappy with me. Thank and you. we kind of do, we kind of do like having the extra money so that we can use it for all the things that we need to do. So all the bills that we have. Um, so that reminds yeah. me, are you going to have Arius on? Wednesday, Thursday, or what? When is it? It's next week. Uh, the babysitter won't be able to watch him Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. So I'll probably take Wednesday and Thursday off. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I could work all of Tuesday night into Wednesday morning and then take Wednesday night and Thursday night off and then go back to work on Friday because I'll watch him during the day, but... Then I'll be able to uh-huh. go back to work to yeah. work around that schedule problem that we have. Yeah. Okay. Let me see here. Let me just read this. Uh, are you on your uh, your earbuds? No. Oh, I I was just uh, I was going to say, Kim. Um, I can't hear Arius being mad about being in the car. Is he with you? Yeah, he is. But you buy cookies and he's happy. Oh, yeah, cookies make one-year-old happy. Okay, good deal. All right. So apparently this was just a di- uh, as difficult for men to live this pr- principle righteously in those days 
as it has been in our dispensation. So Jacob issued a type of manifesto for his time similar to what was declared and accepted in the LDS Church in 1890. Orson Pratt commented, quote, But because the Lord dealt thus with the small branch of the house of Israel that came to America under their peculiar circumstances, there are those at the present day who will appeal to this passage in the Book of Mormon as something universally applicable in regards to, to man's domestic relations. The same God that commanded one branch of the house of Israel in America to take but one wife when the numbers of the sexes of the two sexes were about equal gave a different commandment to the host of Israel in Palestine. But let us see the qualifying cause given in the Book of Mormon on this subject. After having reminded the people of the commandment delivered by Lehi in regard to monogamy, the Lord says, for if, if I will raise up seed unto me, I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. That is, if I will raise up children among my people of the house of Israel, I will give them a commandment on the subject. But if I do not give this commandment, they shall hearken to the law which I give unto their father Lehi. That is the meaning of the passage, and this very passage goes to prove that the plurality of wives was a principle God did approve under circumstances when it was authorized by him. Journal of Discourses, that was Orson Pratt. Journal of Discourses, volume 13, pages 191 and 192, and that was given October 7, 1869. October 7 was General Conference. That the whole journal of discourses are the teachings of the early leaders of the LDS Church. Usually, it was general conference they were speaking. Not always, but a lot of time it was. So, of course, he is talking here about accepting procedure of the church, allowing the fact that there will always be a few who wish to obey the eternal principles in our in or out of the church. Go ahead, Kim. I was just going to say, it's like the end sign. So today they do the end sign. Um, I was just thinking that, but I didn't say it. Yeah, so just to let everybody know in like that context. So just like the end sign is today, um, that's what the Journal of Discourses is. Yeah, and, and the church kind of today thing. will make up all kinds of excuses why you shouldn't read the Journal of Discourses because they're trying to change things. And if you know that Joseph Smith said if they contradict the scriptures or the early, and I would say the early uh, teachings of, of the prophet Joseph Smith and others of the leaders who are teaching in righteousness, like they don't want you to read the conference talks of past leaders because they're trying to change things and they don't want you to realize that there's, there's these changes being made. Because they talk about the word of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever, and how the leaders of the church can never lead you astray, but then they're all like, well, these guys, they were all, they were men of their time. They didn't really understand, but so whatever. I don't know. It drives me nuts, but, but whatever. Uh, Brigham Young was actually the editor of the Journal of Discourses, and he didn't let things get in there that weren't right. 
So anyway, uh, oh well, I guess he he did have his arguments with different people, but. The Book of Mormon is an amazing book. It is so amazing that it must be true because truth is stranger than fiction. Unlike fiction, however, it teaches principles, religious themes, history, and a vast amount of common sense. It depicts the lives of both good and bad men as descriptively and eloquently as any in the Bible. From such illustrative examples comes a precious understanding of good and evil and the fruit resulting from each, uh, from each. Our actions determine our outcome, not merely the beliefs that we claim, nor what we possess. For instance, gold is neither good nor bad, but its use by either good or bad individuals determines its significance and value. Both good and bad individuals hold government offices, and how they use that power becomes a factor in determining their true worth. So now we come to the principle of plural marriage. It, too, can be received and lived by both good and bad men and women. It can be righteously practiced, or it can be terribly abused. The Book of Mormon gives us important instruction by providing a glimpse into the faithful history of plural marriage. We can learn from the many examples that plural marriage is not a principle to be lived by the wicked, and God will not tolerate his church in any dispensation to abuse it for long. So uh, that's the end of the reading. The phone lines are open. The chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And uh, the phone number for the guest call in is 917-889-8827. We're going to give a preview of chapter 10, which starts on page 89. And uh, I'll read that, and if we have any questions or comments or callers, then we'll take those, and then if not, then I'll end the program for today. Chapter 10. Just a preview. It's it's just one page. The Christian. Christ fulfilled the law. When Jesus Christ was born, polygamy was known and lived by various nationalities all over the world. Many of the Jews that he associated with either talked about it or were living it. How could these learned Bible scholars teach about the ancient prophets without bringing up the subject of there being many wives? Also, they were reading the Torah, and the Torah talks about polygamy and how it should be lived, right? These people were caught between the ancient Israelite laws that advocated polygamy and those of the Roman Empire that discouraged it, and we talked about why they discouraged it in a previous episode that I did last week, all right? So isn't it strange that on the written record, Jesus never said a single word about the law of plural celestial marriage in in the Torah? In all the writings of his disciples, never did they say a word for or against plural marriage. All right, well, that's the end of the program for today. I'm going to go put my boots on and wait for my wife to get home so I can go back to work. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. Uh, Kim, did you have anything else you wanted to say before I uh, cue the music?
she must be in a bad service area. All right, I'm not going to worry about it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. Oh, yeah, there you go. Hi. I could hear you for a second. You must be by the scales. Yeah, I can't hear her. Um, So there's an area on the way from Price to where we live that the reception of the cell phone is really bad. And sometimes you can, like, talk all the way through that area on your cell phone, and sometimes you can't talk at all, and sometimes the phone call just drops. So because my wife merged into the cell phone, which is by the windowsill, not where I'm at because I've got a Bluetooth headset, I can't see whether or not her call has dropped, but we're just going to assume it did drop. So, Kim, you could try one more time before I let go. Okay. Well, that's the end of the program, everyone. So we'll talk again tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless and goodbye. 